0: any understanding of Christianity has to start with Judaism because Jesus was born a Jew and he grew up in
1: the Jewish tradition. On May 14, 1948, as the British mandate over Palestine came to an end, the people's council approved a proclamation that declared the establishment of the state of Israel. But when you go back in Ezekiel to chapter 34, 18 times the Lord says, I'm going to do this. He said, I'm going to find my people wherever they have been scattered. I will gather them into the land I gave their forefathers. I will feed them like a good shepherd feeds his flock. Now we see tangible evidence of how that has taken place. The
0: big sign event, the big one, divine calendar, was taken off of pause and and set into motion was the rebirth of the nation of Israel, 1948.
1: Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
0: Pastor Walt, last week you started with a great lesson on the history of Israel, did a great job. And so if our listeners didn't catch that First segment, and we call it part one of Israel, they need to go hear that. Today, we're going to talk about part two, and that is more of the theology of Israel and the importance of Israel in the church. Before we get there, before I get to the question I want to ask you, a statement for myself. I remember as a young Christian, I saw the Bible as two stories, the old and then the new. And until someone came along and mentored me in the idea that the old and the new really aren't two halves of a book, it's just one story. And that has always helped me understand the importance of Israel in relationship to the church. What do you say about that?
2: If you've been to my church, you know that I preach out of the Old Testament more than the New Testament. So we're talking about Israel. We are Israel. We are the rebellious. We are those who continually fail God's sin. And the Old Testament, I've heard all kinds of outlandish statements, such as the person who is most guilty of murder in history is the God of the Old Testament.
0: Isn't that incredible?
2: And people saying, I can't stand to read the Old Testament. God seems so mean it's because you haven't really read it, you haven't studied, you haven't dug into the Old Testament and found that there is a nation that is rebellious, that God has called out. And they're adulterous, and they're idolatrous, and they keep running away from this God. And this God keeps saying, if you'll just come back to me, I will forgive you. It's really the story of the prodigal son Israel is called God's son, and he is the father who is continually calling his people back. And you're right, it's one story from cover to cover. It's God's story of the redemption of mankind. It's not a math book or a science book. It is a storybook, a true story, and you can't understand the full story unless you read it from cover to
0: cover. You know, I want to go back to your opening comments about how the God of the Old Testament is so savagery and, and so vicious and violent. And it's so funny because when people say that, I say, well, have you read the book of Revelation? Because <laughs> the same God that brings out all that judgment in the book of Revelation is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's the same God of the Old Testament. So maybe instead of just saying, well, I've been propagandized to think that God is all love. Well, you know something? He's also a judge, and that's what people reject.
2: Well, as I have said in previous podcasts, you have to begin with the holiness of God. God introduces himself as holy. The Old Testament says you are perfect in all of your ways. Then we can't trust his love. We can't trust his judgment. But it begins with understanding that God is not like us. We are formed in His image. But God's nature is something completely alien to us. We don't understand a person who is completely holy. And that's where we get it wrong. We want to begin where God is love. God's holiness is first. Then we see that His love is perfect because of his holiness.
0: I love that. I think that's great explanation. So today we want to get into the idea of Israel's relationship to the church, because one of the words that you have used repeatedly as you teach upon this is replacement theology. What, what does that really mean on behalf of the church?
2: Replacement theology is simply the belief that the church has replaced Israel, that at one time Israel was God's chosen and covenant people and through the intertestamental period God has rejected Israel and I reject replacement theology. It has led to great harm Jewish people throughout church history. And, you know, we drive around the neighborhood and we see signs on a church every once in a while. And it says, we are a full gospel church. And that means different to every church that advertises as full gospel. But we always want to have the whole gospel. And you can't have the whole gospel unless Israel plays a part in your understanding of salvation. You're missing a piece of the puzzle and I want to start out by saying that I am not one who falls into a particular theological framework. When I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, what I heard was a dispensational framework, and without going into too much detail about that, the idea is that God has different systems of salvation throughout history. Right now, we are in the church age. The Old Testament under the law was a different path, and I'm not a covenantal theologian either because I reject the idea of replacement theology. That's where I go back to the Bible is one story. It's salvation by faith for all time. So before the law, and the Apostle Paul makes this clear, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then after that, God begins to make covenant with Abraham But every single person throughout history is saved by faith. You can even see it in the garden where Adam and Eve, it says that they are naked and if God took animal skins, but we don't look what's behind that. God made a sacrifice so that a holy God could still have relationship with mankind. It is that atonement that brings us into relationship with God, but we have to have faith in that atonement.
0: So you say that it's really the church then and Israel side by side, and I I think that bears out in in Paul's writings to the Ephesians chapter 2, where he says that he makes one man out of two. And so God's goal, if I understand you correctly, has always been to make one new man. So when the church says in replacement theology, we no longer need Israel, that is really quite a bit of error in in that statement. Absolutely.
2: I agree with the statement that church and Israel are not the same It it isn't that, you know, you have Israel and the church has been merged in. To a certain extent, yes. And this is where we get into the idea of grafting in, that Paul says, you know, here's this tree, and this tree represents the fruit that the kingdom of God bears, and that tree is Israel. And God's covenant with the Jewish people. And so we come and we're grafted in. We are not a nation, we're not a theocracy, but we are grafted into that covenant relationship. It's a subtle difference to see the two. Let's forget the idea of the nation of Israel, we just have a call or an opportunity, I should say, from the Old Testament, where God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. When we bless the Jewish people, we don't have to agree with everything that the government of Israel does. But we do have an expectation that we would bless God's people. And I just do not see, and I'll get into it here in a moment, the biblical basis for the rejection of the Jewish people.
1: You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden. So where do we go from here then?
0: When Christians say that Israel is no longer necessary because we have Christ... And Christ has basically removed the law, removed all the regulations for salvation. And so, you know, if you preach that or you think that, it, it makes sense that Israel is no longer necessary. So how do you combat that kind of thinking?
2: Well, I hear all the time that the law has been replaced, we're not under the law, but then we forget so quickly the words of Jesus, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So in the Old Testament, God lays out his expectations and the law is a reflection of the holiness of God. We don't just follow laws just because we think it's a good idea. It is a reflection of the nature of God. We love because God is love. We don't murder because God is life. Every single law of the Old Testament is a reflection of the uniqueness of God and of the holiness of God. What Jesus did was he went into the Holy of Holies and he laid down his blood, and he fulfilled the righteous requirements of the Old Testament law. Now, we obey that law through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is within us. Our heart of stone, as Ezekiel said, is removed and has been replaced with a heart of flesh, and now we have the Holy Spirit within us to obey the law of God and to walk in holiness and righteousness. Of course, we don't Obey all of the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament law, but we certainly obey the Ten Commandments and the other laws about loving one another and loving God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. And Israel showed us that we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit within us.
0: One commentator I heard recently, Pastor Walt, say, if we can't prove God just by science or whatever, by fact, we can prove God by the nation of Israel because of the faithfulness that God has been to this nation, that after 2,000 years of not being a nation, then in 1948 of course, and I'm sure you'll get into that, they became a nation. So God's faithfulness to the Jews proves that God is faithful to his covenant.
2: That's one of the reasons I am a Christian. There are those things in everybody's life as a believer that you just cannot deny that point to the existence of God. And for me, it's the existence of Israel. I've heard of people who have gone from atheism to Christianity because Israel exists. There's no reason for it.
1: And most miraculously of all israel is once again becoming the home of the once scattered jewish people over the last century they have returned
2: here by the millions from the north south east and west
1: we are living in the time spoken about long ago the time that this nation would be reborn yes
2: 1948 it became a nation for the first time in 2,500 years, and it shouldn't have been. So there's no nation of Edom, Canaan, Ammon, Midian, all of the nations around them. When the Babylonians came in and destroyed the nation of Israel and carried them into captivity, all of those people groups basically disappeared from history. Even the 10 northern tribes of Israel, they intermarried, they disobeyed the law of God. Those couple of tribes there, the southern kingdom, God preserved through that long captivity of 70 years, and they came back, and just as the Bible said, they rebuilt the nation. Now, they didn't officially become a nation again, and this ought to get our ears to perk up a little bit, that we live in a very exciting time when the nation of Israel was reformed in 1948. Jesus said that we can tell the sign of the times with the fig tree. The fig tree represents Israel, and he said when you see it bloom again, then you can begin to understand that you are coming into the end times.
0: I think you're exactly right, Pastor Walt. In fact, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, a very prolific prophecy writer and lecturer, had this to
1: say. The regathering of Israel, the refounding of the modern nation of Israel in 1948 is, I call it, the super sign of the end times because really every other prophecy of the end times hinges in one way or another on Israel being a nation. For instance, the, the Bible tells us that the end times actually start, this coming time of tribulation, the seven-year period in the future, starts when the, this Antichrist, this coming world ruler, makes a covenant or a treaty with Israel for seven years. Well, he can't make a treaty with Israel if they don't exist. So they had to be in existence for this time period to start.
0: Again, Israel has not been replaced. She plays an important role in Bible prophecy.
2: There is no biblical statement anywhere that I can find that tells us that Israel has been rejected. In fact, I see the biblical evidence that Israel is still a part of God's plan, that they are still God's chosen people. The Israelites were not rejected, they were not replaced. The Gentiles were grafted in. There's a big difference. So, again, you go back to that tree that represents the kingdom. And some of the the branches were unfruitful and those branches have been removed. And then God places, just think about how a gardener grafts something in. He takes a knife and he cuts out a point and then he takes that branch and he wraps it around and he ties it into that existing plant and it begins to grow. That's what we were. We were the outsiders. We almost treat the Jews as outsiders now. They're not the outsiders. They are still a part of God's plan for the future.
0: You know, it's very interesting you say that, that word outsiders. Recently, I was in Europe and visited some of the great cathedrals, and I recognized immediately that there was no Israel in any of it. I mean, there was just nothing. You talk about cutting out Israel completely from their history, and maybe that's one of the reasons, Pastor Walt, that Europe is having such a hard time with Christianity today, because they've just ignored their foundation. But there are doctrines like preterism, that creates some problems for the church in this aspect of understanding Israel? Why don't you explain?
2: Preterism isn't very well known in the church, but we would find a lot of popular ministers today, televangelists, writers of books, are preterists. It's simply the belief that the book of Revelation has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the Roman Empire, that Nero was the Antichrist. You see all the persecution of the church. You see the destruction of the temple. All of those things have been fulfilled in the early church, but I don't believe that. I have a a belief, and I, I think I have a pretty good case for it, that prophecy can happen on different levels at different times. So, for example, in the book of Daniel, we're told about the abomination that causes desolation and that was fulfilled when Antiochus Epiphanes entered the Holy of Holies and sacrificed a pig And then Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 that there is going to be an abomination that causes desolation according to what we read in the prophet Daniel. So Jesus is obviously aware that there was an event in history when Antiochus Epiphanes went into the Holy of Holies and committed an abomination that causes desolation. But he's saying it's going to happen again, and it did happen again. In 70 AD, the Jewish temple was destroyed. And then the book of Revelation talks about the Antichrist coming into the temple, which I do believe, and it's a question I hear very often, is there going to actually be another physical temple rebuilt. Absolutely. I believe that's going to happen before the return of Jesus. And there is going to be again an abomination that causes desolation. History seems to repeat itself and many times prophecy happens on different levels. In fact, I think you could find Jesus in just about every story of the Old Testament. And all of those stories in the Old Testament have life lessons for us that we can apply to this time. So there will be things that have happened in the Old Testament, things that were prophesied in the Old Testament that are still yet to be fulfilled. So we ought to pay attention to what the prophets talked about in the Old Testament prophecies because some of those things have not been fulfilled yet. And I think the church is in great ignorance about the end times right now.
0: Again, I heard a commentator once say that Jesus has to come back to a land. He came to a land the first time, and so he has to come back to a land, in other words, Israel, a second time. And in 1948, of course, May 14, 1948, Israel was born. And others have said that's a super sign of prophecy, right? As the God's time clock. So tell me a little bit more from the Old Testament, why that is so important. This
2: is where, I touched on this a little bit in a previous podcast. We get the idea that we are going to heaven. We're not going to heaven. Jesus is coming to earth. This is the rule and reign of God. This is God's earth. He created it for his glory. And he's going to come back, and he's going to come back to the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to bring a new city down and there he's going to rule and reign with us, and we're, there will be no sun, there'll be no moon, because we're going to have the light of the glory of God. God's presence is going to be with us, and Jesus Christ is going to be proclaimed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But in the book of Ezekiel 28, 25, and I'm just touching on a few verses there are hundreds of verses that will back up what I'm saying. Ezekiel 28:25. They will live in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. And then here's the really powerful verse. Isaiah 66, 8, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a nation be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Now, who would have understood back then what God was talking about? And this is where we get in a little bit of trouble when we try to allegorize everything in the Old Testament. Literally, Israel was born in a day. There was a vote, and voila, there was a new nation. <laughs> well, voila, Israel.
0: was that is that Hebrew? Voila?
2: No, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs>
0: I love it. Go ahead.
2: Countless verses on the restoration of God's people. And I think uh, back to the end times, I think the church is embarrassed by the end times, which is sad, partly because of the false interpretation of that teaching. I know things get a little crazy, and every time something happens in the world, we want to associate it with the end times, and Jesus is coming back again. What I think Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 24 is you're going to consistently see these things in the world from the time. I leave his ascension to the time I return. And as we get through history, those things are going to get worse. There's going to be more earthquakes. There's going to be more famine. There's going to be more racial strife in the world. And that's going to continue to increase until things get so bad, that God is finally going to have to come in and rescue the world. And it'll prove once again what the Old Testament already proved, is that man is incapable of ruling and reigning over himself. He needs God to rule and reign over him, and it will be a kingdom of peace and of security and there will be no end to it. It will be an eternal kingdom. You know, the early church fathers, I love to read, but they were not perfect. Augustine, Chrysostom, they both said a lot of interesting things about the Jewish people, and they became frustrated with them because they were not receiving Christ. And there were really hostile comments made among some of the early church fathers. And even Martin Luther, there's some debate. Some people thought Martin Luther might have suffered from dementia in his older years. But in the beginning of his writing, when he was younger, he had great hope for the Jewish people. And he thought that the Reformation would sort of renew evangelism among the Jewish people. And it didn't happen. And he began to say very condemning and hostile things, about and toward the Jewish people. Incidentally, Larry, do you know in the 1920s the safest nation for a Jew in Europe? Germany. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you said that last week. That's the only reason I remembered. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, it was anti-Semitism was much higher in other countries than it was in Germany. It happened that quickly Hmm. That ought to get us to wise up about some things that are happening in our culture. But replacement theology, it can be dangerous, just like any other theology that gets off track. When we start getting into this idea that the Jews are under a curse because they murdered Jesus. I even read in my research that, I think it was Dachau, the Jewish people who came in were greeted with the statement, you're here because you killed Jesus. And so Hitler and the Nazis used a lot of the propaganda from some of the early church fathers, in particular Martin Luther, to defend what they were doing to the Jewish people. I'm not saying that replacement theologians are calling for a holocaust. I'm just saying that we're really missing a beautiful part of the scripture, and that is that God makes eternal covenants with people, He made an eternal covenant with Abraham. He made sure all throughout history that the Jewish people remained, that there was a remnant, whether it was through the exile or through the time when the Romans kicked all the Jews out of Palestine, or the Holocaust, or any of those times, there was always a remnant, and that remnant returned in 1948 and restored the nation of Israel. Let me just give a couple more promises. From the standpoint of the gospel, I'm reading in Romans 11, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient in order that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may be shown mercy. Doesn't that clearly say that God still has a plan for the Jewish people? It says there, his calling and his gifts are irrevocable. And then in Jeremiah 33 25 and 26, Thus says the Lord, If my covenant for day and night stand not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them.
0: Pastor Walt, over the years, I have learned what you're talking about, not because I went to seminary. I did go to seminary, but I did not learn it in seminary. I learned it by folks like yourself. And I think it's very important for our audience to say, okay, if Pastor Walt is right in what he's saying, let me find scripture verses. Let me find passages that will support all of what is being said. Do you have those passages, something that would be maybe helpful for somebody to go to study?
2: Well, you begin with a God's story and God's plan and his promises in the book of Genesis. I would just say, read the story and try to read the story chronologically. There's You can get your hands on a chronological Bible, and then you can begin to see that Ezra and Nehemiah came after Isaiah and Jeremiah, but they're put back with the historical books. And you can just see as you move through history, the history of the uh, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, God makes promises and God fulfills, fulfills, fulfills. And then, of course, there's that gap and the ultimate fulfillment is that Jesus comes as a Jew. Have we missed that part of it? Jesus comes as a Jew to the Jews. Jewish people. And as you stated before we started the podcast here this morning, he said, I came only to the house of Israel. Well, what does that mean? We go back to the tree. Here's the tree. It's the kingdom of God. It's God's plan for the Jewish people. And we are grafted in to God's plan.
0: Well, it is a great privilege to have a pastor talk about these things because usually it is not talked about in most churches. In fact, the statistics say that 70% Pastor Walt are into replacement theology of some kind, 70% of the churches in America. Well, that says a lot to the lack of understanding about this theme. So again, until next time, thank you for thinking out loud. For 2,000 years, the church theologians kind of couldn't figure out the prophecies because Israel wasn't in the land, and now they're in the land. The divine clock is taken off of pause, and it's running, I think, since 1948.
1: We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please, let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org. This podcast is listener-supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cbcmpls.org.